I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. Well, today's kind of a fun podcast because we thought we would throw out questions to people. I know, we've never done Ask Us Anything. Ask Us Anything. Some of them, as you said, were quite revolting and rude. Uh, <laughs> there were a couple of inappropriate messages, yes. Um, so we'll keep the clean ones in. Um, there's a lot of marriage questions, a lot of sexual yep. questions. Yes. But I thought we'd start with one which is for you. And, and thanks, everybody, for sending these because it's the most fun thing to do. Yeah, it is. So here's one from your friend and, and my friend. I don't know her as well as you, but Jan Arden, the amazing uh, oh, yeah. singer. So she wrote this, I think, to you, Tommy. Uh, what inspired you? to go vegan and how easy was it to eat vegan at the gorge i think that's not gorging that's gorgeous debbie travis's italian dream <laughs> villa uh, is italy easy for plant-based people well that's a great question um and by the way we should really get jan on the podcast oh, that would be great because yeah. she's a hoot and a half but she like me is vegan and i found when I first came to Italy that actually, in terms of European countries, Italy is quite easy to be vegan in. There are options in almost all restaurants that you can eat. Yes, of course, there's a huge cheese and dairy culture there. And you have things like prosciutto and things like that that we can't eat. But there's also a massive farming and vegetable and fresh fruit and vegetable uh, culture. So, you know, I think also... You have to mention the beautiful, incredible legumes and beans that are available in Italy that make up so much of the diet there. And the Tuscan people are known as bean people because... They love beans. Well, it was cheap. It was cheap and in the winter when there wasn't as many vegetables, yeah. um, beans keep. So, um, and if they couldn't afford yeah. meat, so they're known as bean people. There's a reason Italian word for it, but I've forgotten. And it's a major source of protein for vegan diets. So, you know, I would say, like, France is probably the hardest country in Europe to be vegan in, and Italy is actually probably the easiest. And then you have the UK, which I travel to frequently, as you know, and in the UK, it's not so much because of the history of the way that they eat in the UK that it's easy to be vegan, it's more because there's, like, more of a vegan movement in the UK in the last few years. So London, for instance, has many, many, many restaurants that serve vegan food or restaurants that have a separate menu that's vegan. So it's easy to be vegan in, in a big city like London in the UK and any of the big cities in the UK. But as far as culture is concerned and eating and food culture, Italy's great. You know, it's not all prosciutto and parmigiano. No, and I think the difference is like you said, with big cities and say the Italian diet, which is very, it's more difficult if you're gluten intolerant here. Yes, which I'm not, thankfully. But so it's a very heavy gluten diet. But when they're vegetarian here, it's much more natural because there is this abundance of fresh vegetables all year round because it's coming up from the south, from Sicily or from down from the north. But the difference between the big cities and actually, veganism is reversing now in the UK because of so much processed food. So I know you're a good vegan. You really try hard to eat without all the stuff from the shops. But vegans can be very yeah. unhealthy because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, choice and a lot of, you know, working out what you're going to eat. And it can be boring if you're just relying on, you know, lentils and chickpeas and whatever. So you have to kind of really get into the mode of researching how to make 
good vegan food because you can't rely on packaged food. Well, I think that's true. That's true of an omnivore diet too. Like by and large, if you look at it statistically, people who eat a non-vegan diet probably eat even more processed food than vegans do because we only have a few products that are available that are processed versus the world of like fast food restaurants and burgers and fried chicken and all that stuff that people who have an omnivore diet eat. It's kind of true of any diet. And I think that's a really good point to make, Debbie, is that you kind of, you know, there's a way to eat really, you know, shit food, <laughs> no whatever matter what you, you eat. Yeah, I always yes, say whatever that. you are. Label yourself yeah. whatever you want to be. That's your choice. Yeah. But make sure you're buying 80% that's not in a packet. Yeah, vegetables, as fresh as you can get them, you know, and, and or fresh frozen vegetables and legumes and all kinds of good things. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I have one for you. All right, we've got a billion questions. So let me do you. I want to do you next. So Scott writes. Hello, Scott. Yes, I do wear a thong, Scott. (laughs) That's not what Scott wrote. So Scott writes, I'm always fascinated by creative folks' morning rituals. Is it a specific coffee order, 30 minutes of meditation, a workout, never looking at emails until after you shower? How does y'all's day start? Which I think is funny because for me, it's none of the above. (laughs) I was just going to say me too. So first of all, living here, there's no takeout coffee. You make it yourself or you go to the bar. Um, But for me, for me, it always changes. Um, And it's very nice to be called a creative person. I think we both are, but I never thought about morning rituals. But for me, it, it depends on where you are with your life. So, you know. Several years ago, with children, it was more screaming and get out of bed, you're late for school and... um, Chaos. (laughs) Yeah, morning chaos. Um, But now, um, you know, I'm pretty a lazy morning, early morning person. But now with a puppy, um, he's up early. And I found this is the bit that I really, really love. It's because I have to take him out. And, you know, I've got this lovely land here. And yeah. we go down to our pond and we sit there. And of course, it's the summer, so it's it's light at the moment. And I don't take my phone. So I, I really do believe in trying to, because there's always something on your phone that's going to drive you, whether it's the news or somebody's email or family member, it's going to drive you nuts before your day started. So for me, it's not about what I eat or drink. Um, it's And I do, actually, I do like jasmine green tea. So I really like to have that first because Jackie Brown, our nutritionist, always starts the day with green tea. Um, but but I, I do like to sit quietly and there's nothing more meditative than a dog, you know, sitting beside you and stroking it. And just, you're just really thinking. And I find I'm much, much fresher in the morning. So if I'm yeah. writing, um, I suddenly get start getting all these ideas early and then I need yeah. to get into my writing hut or I will um, forget about them. So yeah, that's mine. What's yours? I think I'm the same as you in the sense that I have sort of different routines at different times or depending on what I'm doing. My everyday routine, if it's just, if I'm in Toronto where my home base is and I'm just waking up and starting my day to go to the office and work with my team at the design firm, I generally have a very average morning routine. I get up quite early, usually by about six o'clock. I check any emails that have come in overnight because I work with people in different time zones and I like them to have their answers while they're still fresh. And then I go upstairs and I make coffee in a French press uh, with really good organic coffee, very, very good coffee. And I only have coffee before 7 a.m. I never have coffee after my morning routine. I'm not an all-day coffee drinker. I just have one to launch the space shuttle (laughs) and then for the rest of the day we're flying. So I do that and um, I chat with Patrick 
about our day or the day before or anything that we have coming up or travel plans that we're making so that I understand what each of us are doing that day. And then I get up, I shower, I get dressed, I go to work. And and I'm, if I'm traveling, depending on the city that I'm in, I have routines that are specific to the cities that I visit often. So my London morning routine is different than my Paris morning routine, yeah. is different than my New York morning routine. But usually when I'm traveling, my morning routine is to get the coffee going and then walk. Um, because being in extraordinary places, you know, you, you, Toronto I've known since I was born. So I don't go out and walk as much in the mornings here. Sometimes I do. But mostly when I'm traveling, I like to get up and out, even if I'm traveling for work. If I have a couple of hours of exploring the city that I'm in before I have to go to work that day, that's heaven for me yeah. with my coffee in my hand um, until I have to rush back to the hotel uh, because we all know what coffee does. Yeah. <laughs> all right. On that happy note, <laughs> uh, am I reading the next one? Yes. Yeah. Janet, she says, I know you both have a great sense of humor. And healthy bowels. No, that, sorry, she didn't say that. <laughs> what is the funniest memory of you two together? Oh, I have one. Ah. I have one. What is it? Okay, this happened recently. I know you're supposed to answer this, but this happened recently. So we were filming in the famous Arezzo market for the Marilyn yeah. Dennis show and for the launch of the new podcast. I don't know if you yeah. know this. As we were walking past, it was amazing on this beautiful medieval street with a market going on and lots of stuff. There was this fabulous little corner shop with everything hanging and fruit and veg in the, you know, a tiny little old-fashioned grocers, but they had big things of meringues and they had vegetables, they had wine, they had, you know, whatever. And it was a little doorway. Yes, I remember. They had beautiful pasta too. Pa all different pastas, you know, different colors and things like that. So we said, oh, Patrick, Patrick was with us, of course. I said, Patrick, take a picture, take a picture. So we took a picture of you and I in the doorway of the shop. And yeah. I posted it. And I don't know if I said something odd. You did. I remember what you said. You well, said, well, you know, obviously, um, this is our shop. And I'm uh, busy uh, washing the floors while Tommy chats with customers. <laughs> It was a joke. And so I'm still getting messages of people asking us where the shop is. <laughs> okay, so this is interesting because, thank you, Janet, business idea. Maybe we should open a shop because oh. obviously there's a market for it and an audience for it's it. It's so Maybe funny. that's our next I mean, project. They're still coming going, but sorry, where? what do you sell? Where is the shop? You know, do you, do you, do you sell online? And I'm like, no, we don't have a shop. So yeah, that went tits up. But do you have a funny story? I don't know. I, th I think, I mean, we've told so many of those stories already. I do think it's pretty funny that when we first met, you had washed your hair with dog shampoo and I complimented your hair. That's right. Yeah, I'd been saying that. was on the Marilyn Dennis show. That was funny. And then we did film once together in an apartment, which I think was the smallest apartment I have ever. Oh, that was the cooking thing. Yes. It was the smallest place I've ever been in my life. Mary Berg. Yes. We're, we're putting in a whole television crew. We're putting in us and, and makeup artists and all this. And we were there all day. I think there were some technical issues. And we're like squeezing. And she had like the tiniest stove, bless her. And the tiniest, this, and yeah. the tiniest this. And it was like look, nobody's going to know, just, and there were like raw stuff everywhere. And we're like, mm, this is yummy. You know, we didn't even cook it. <laughs> it was like it was a dinner party. It was a dinner party competition. And we were to judge who could set up and serve the best at home dinner party because ah. the conversation at the time was kind of like the return of the dinner party. Yeah. Um, 
as a social uh, thing. Oh my gosh, that's funny. That was funny. All right, next one. Okay, I'll do the next one. Nancy writes, how much do you both miss Marilyn Dennis? And what was your favorite thing you did on her show? So I'll start with that. First of all, uh, don't cry. Mayor and Debbie and I stop crying. That was farewell week was the crying. Mayor and Debbie and I are quite close friends in real life. So we don't have to miss Marilyn Dennis as much as the rest of Canada will miss her on television. But she also is doing a podcast. I mean, I do miss doing the show, but I only did the show really because it was her. I've had many invitations to be on many other kinds of talk shows and things like that, which I've always kind of demurred from doing because the rapport and the and the relationship between me and Mare was so great. And also because the Marilyn Dennis show allowed me to do something that was pretty different than what was being done on daytime talk shows in previously, which was that I was allowed to go out into the field, out into the world and bring stories back into the studio. Most talk shows up until that time had been very like contained within the studio. And with the exception of, of a few, maybe like glamour makeovers or the odd at-home makeover, they weren't sending people out into the world. So I loved that. And, and I would say kind of answers the second part of Nancy's question, which is, that was the thing that I loved doing most with Marilyn on her show was getting to travel with her on her holiday. And a lot of people don't realize that that holiday in June, that we would go on these adventures that we would film for her show was her actual real holiday. She gave that up in order to share it with Canadian viewers. And then she would always invite a couple of her real life, quote unquote, real life friends to go with her. And that's why you see when she travels, you see Peter Papapetru and Andrew Pike and me and Debbie. Because that is she you know, to hang out? her real holiday. Yeah. yeah, her real holiday, who she wanted to be with. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm talking to her when we finish taping this. <laughs> She's ringing me. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, of course. She's coming to visit you in the fall. I think so. Yeah, we're just going to discuss details. I don't know where we're going. But, but yeah, I, I agree. And I think what was different, and I've been on, you know, so many talk shows. What was nice about hers was it really was a fun thing. And my condo in Toronto is half a block from their studio. They used to give you a chit for the taxi fare, right? And I used to take a taxi and I'd have my hair in rollers, soaking wet, no makeup. And I didn't dare tell the cab driver where I was going because I'd get in and I'd say there. And he's like, what? I said, just, just, there. And and I used to have to get quite aggressive at six o'clock in the morning. Just drive, okay? You know, and and because I didn't want to walk down the street, especially if it was winter. In your rollers. In rollers and freeze. So honestly, you could have thrown me there. It was so near. And then, you know, I'd get it like a five dollar bill, and the guy would still be you lazy sword. <laughs> you know, you can't walk. So that was kind of funny. But um I think for this one, when we do the social media accompaniments to this particular podcast, we're going to have to post a picture of you in rollers, because I will tell you that Patrick, who had met you many times before he'd seen you in rollers, might have been a little shocked <laughs> when we were filming in Tuscany and you came downstairs because your rollers are not like little rollers. They're these big, they're like Coca-Cola cans. And you know, I wore them for so many years, 25 years of filming, that it actually, it actually became part of the show because I didn't really notice it. And when we did facelift, which was following the puck, it wasn't all beautifully set up. I had my rollers yeah. in when I got there. And this was before <laughs> the days of extensions and all the stuff that television people do today. So it was a way of yeah. holding your hair, making your hair a bit puffier um, that would last. But, you know, I think everybody's got these great stories about, I mean, I'm sure Marilyn has got millions, but we once did a show 
I'm not sure if it was their Halloween one. And they said, uh, we've got you a prop. And I go out and the first thing I do is slide in some pony poo. And there was a <laughs> pony. And little, po- it was a real pony. It wasn't a fault. And, you know, like a Shetland pony. And they're very aggressive yeah. Shetland ponies. I know. I was a child. <laughs> okay. and, right. And this thing kept biting me and nobody else would go near it. And I'm left. You know how there's, there was always, a as you coming on to the set, we were all clumped in the hallway you know, makeup artists, final touch-ups, hair. Yeah, um, all the people. Yeah, and, and they're all yeah. waiting. Nobody would go because of this thing was kicking and <laughs> biting and everything. And I'm like, and I had pink ribbons on it. I can't even remember what the segment was. And then everybody just fleed. And then it was like, okay, Debbie, go. And I had to drag like a mule this thing onto the set, oh, which God. pooed the whole time we were there. You know, they always say never. <laughs> so that was a really funny one. But it was always, always always fun there everybody came down to see you you know it yeah. was just you know people running around in their underwear with peter paprapuzzi you know because they were all changing clothes and stuff but yeah that was a good yeah that's a nice question i know the the, the family environment there for people who didn't get to see that until the very end really when they kind of pulled back the curtain a bit was a really special place. I mean, all of the producers that worked there, the executive producers, even the senior executives that were in charge of managing that show were all really great people. And television, I always say, you know, and I'm quite frank about this, television is a filthy, dirty business. It is cutthroat. People will, you're only as good as the last thing that you did. It's difficult. There are diversity problems, prejudices that happen. It's a, it's a shit business. It really, really is. And I think people who glamorize it are doing it a disservice because it's hard. And the one thing I will say about the entire team at the Marilyn Dennis Show is they were all, without exception, consummate professionals, really warm and lovely people. And, you know, when you have leadership that surrounds itself with really decent, hardworking, good people, you have an environment that I think translates onto television. Absolutely. And so when you're watching people on TV and you think, look, oh, maybe that person might not be nice. Probably you're right about that. And probably they're working within a very difficult environment. Absolutely. So. It's, it, it really comes from the top, not just the top, but the host who has to carry that show. And if that right. host is a decent person and, and is really passionate, not just doing mm-hmm. it for the next job. And I found that more in the US, the big chat shows there, where yeah. I won't name names, but oh, God, it was rough. It was... <laughs> Well, there have been some really awful ones in Canada, too, quite famously. People who didn't last been doing this for 35 years for a reason. And, you know, without name dropping too much, the best example of it all was Oprah. But because, and as a producer, I was fascinated by behind the scenes. And Sherry, who we had on a podcast, was the executive producer there. And she was amazing. But Oprah was the real deal. That's, that's how I read yeah. it. And I'm not really a nervous person, certainly not on television because I don't really care. But my knees, my <laughs> knees were rocking. I mean, they were banging together sitting next to her because, you know, it's, it's terrifying because there is so much riding on it. And, and they were live in those days. Yeah. And I was on because I, the books were coming out. And you're seeing, it was the beginning of Amazon where you're going to number one, number two, number three. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And she was, she talked to the audience. A lot of those shows have somebody who keeps the audience going, you know, clapping and all that. Yeah. They didn't, they, they, she did it. And she really was flabbergasted 
by the fact that all those women, it was like a girl's lunch, and a lot of them were going out to lunch in Chicago afterwards. She loved that. She loved the fact that people had got up to meet their friends, had waited years yeah. to get a ticket, and then we're all going to go out on the town in Chicago. And she said it, you know, between breaks yeah. and breaks and stuff. And I remember once she's saying, don't move, I have. To, I need a pee. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, Oprah needs to pee. You know, she's just like, oh. I remember coming home and saying this was a godly experience and Hans going for crying out loud, you know. But it, but it was because it was watching yeah. the best work. And like I said, I did a lot of them. I did Regis and Kelly uh, for six years. I did some out of L.A. The L.A. ones were the toughest, I think. New Yorkers I found a bit easier. But anyway, yeah. before we get ourselves into serious trouble, next one, is that me? Uh, this is from Mia, I think. Oh, Mia Paris. Do you know her? I do. She's an HGTV personality and a friend of mine. Oh, okay, great. So tell us how you met and your favorite place you've traveled together. You know, just just to be clear, we don't live together. <laughs> yeah, some people think that we do. There was somebody when we said ask anything, somebody actually said was the Italian villa both of your dreams or just one of your dreams? And I was like, this wasn't my dream. I just showed up after it was done <laughs> to luxuriate in the gorgeous bedding <laughs> and eat the beautiful food. Yeah, you could have built a couple of walls, Tommy. Um, but that's a good question. Do you want to kick it off? Well, yeah, like all TV personalities, we met on TV. Yeah, in the green <laughs> and room. We liked each other so yeah. much that we stayed friends after that. Well, that's the thing about a good show, because you, you're still talking. Like when we do this podcast, when our producer comes on, we're talking. When when she goes and gets on with her day, we're still chatting about, you know, other stuff. Yeah. And then we're sending each other WhatsApps afterwards to congratulating each other on how great we were yeah. on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I was great. You were great. Oh, my God. I thought that was Everybody fabulous, didn't you? I thought boring. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of that. So the really, I, th- I would say the only place we've traveled... Because we've missed each other in London, haven't we? Every time we've tried. We have the last two times, but maybe this Christmas we'll see each other. Yeah, maybe there this Christmas. But Italy, I mean, we've twice, Tommy has been out here. He's Mm co-hosted a retreat with me, which is great. Because what I like about doing that is it's like having a party. It is. And if you do a party with a friend... Because there's nothing worse than a party where the host is inside and is too hectic and stressed to join the party. So if you have two of you, you know, one of you can be getting new glasses out while the others... And I think both times we had a fantastic time. And you came different times of year, didn't you? You've been in the heat of the summer and the spring. Yes, and the spring. Yeah, which is really good. And the food, what's amazing is that, like, you know, one of the big um, draws in terms of going to the retreats with Debbie and Jackie is the food that's served. And because the Italian food culture is so seasonal, if you do go at different times of year, and you've had many repeat guests at the retreats, but my advice to those guests would be always try to book a different time of year so that you can have different types of food when you go. Like when I was there in the springtime, we had zucchini flowers. Like remember how beautiful those were. And peas, pea soup. And fennel, the most incredible dishes made with fennel and salads with fennel. And so I think, you know, For me, we have had such lovely experiences in Italy, but also like just to give everyone a bit of backstory in terms of my relationship with Italy, it's very new. I hadn't been to Italy before I went to visit Debbie, except Patrick and I were in Nice once and we drove over to Italy for like, I think we actually literally entered Italy to pee and have an espresso and then we went back to France. (laughs) But I always said, 
you know, I was sort of saving Italy because I really wanted to experience it with someone that I loved. And when it had come up in my life, it had been kind of, you know, the wrong timing for me to plan a trip there with someone I really loved or, you know, I was in relationships that weren't right in the right spot for that. So I got to experience it for the first time, both with Patrick, a person that I love, and also Debbie, a person that I love. And so it was quite a special experience for me the first time. And then the second time, just layers and layers of better stuff. It's like tiramisu. <laughs> you know, it's just layers. We've got more to say on that. Be right back. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast. That's right. Find us at thecashkidpodcast.com or listen in on places like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or YouTube. Having guests at your home, whether it's your just your home, your apartment or something, or somewhere somewhere here, is that you see what your work, your creativity, your invention through fresh eyes. Because like anything, I mean, I live in pure paradise. I mean, it is so beautiful. Yes, you go thing when you when you drive, just going to the supermarket, you're like Oh my God, look at that field, you know. It never gets old. But sometimes, you know, I wonder, do the locals who were born here, do they see the beauty of this place? But every time somebody comes down my driveway, you know, I welcome them, whether it's our retreat grass or whether it's, you know, you arriving, you're pointing stuff out that maybe I've taken for granted or I don't see that beautiful lavender field or I don't see those rose bushes as much you know and so you're seeing it with fresh eyes which is something that invigorates me because it's not a, it's not showing off it's like you, you you're seeing their happiness and I think you know my son's just got a new home that he's done up as you know my little boy all himself he's worked so yes. hard all sweat equity in that house. Yeah, and I, and he said that. He said, every time somebody comes, because I'm going, oh, my God, where'd you get that? Oh, wow, what a great idea. It, it's it's like giving somebody, a, um, you know, a, an adrenaline hit because yeah. you're going, oh, God, I, I did do a good job. Or, yeah, I'm so glad I got those cushions. Or I'm so glad, you know, I chose that lamp or I negotiated for that or whatever. And, and I think that it doesn't matter what it is. You're getting a really good endorphin in you from 
praise and pride. And pride. You know, I yeah. think the Christians really got it wrong when they made pride one of the seven deadly sins. And we have to say, though, on the travel thing, we are going to be traveling together next year. Oh, yes. Well, of course, we're going to be traveling uh, on the Danube. Um, we're going to be seeing Budapest and Vienna and some incredible small medieval destinations in between. And that will be an epic adventure. And these are all places that I've never been before. Yeah. So I'm excited to experience them for the first time. Well, I only ever heard of Nuremberg as the Nuremberg trials after the war. That's right. We're going to Nuremberg. That's right. And so that'll be interesting. But Budapest, I've always wanted. So this is something that I said I would never, ever, ever do. Tommy did it and said, look, Lynn's done it. Jan's done it. Why? Just stop being such a snob. Do it. And I'm like, oh, all right then. So it's actually, and now I'm getting quite excited about it. So we're, it's a river, a river cruise. It's great fun. Down the Danube. And um, it's with a company called Scenic Cruises. So uh, we're quite excited about it. Um, so we will, you'll be fed up of traveling with me because you know what they say about couples? Not that we're a couple, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what they say? You're perpetuating the myth. What I, oh God, can you imagine being married to you? Be like being married to the boy sitting next to you at school on the front row with the teachers make you separate you um it wouldn't be good your bits would fall out they dry up and fall oh off. god oh, oh tommy um but i always said to my children when they brought somebody home and they were like oh i really love her i'd say you know travel with them yeah because it really is the best way. So we may not be speaking when we come back. <laughs> well, we better be because I think we're doing a retreat right after that. We are completely full. Um, but so, so, but you know, yeah, Tommy's, I'm not speaking to him. He's at the other end of the, of the, <laughs> the place. But I think it's a great thing if you want to know if you like somebody, because the reason I designed the retreats was so that women could come alone because sometimes it's hard. Absolutely. Who do you travel? Do you want to travel? Maybe yeah. you don't get on with your sister that well, or maybe, you know, you're worried about traveling with a friend or you can't right. find a friend who's free at the same time. Oh, you want to read the next one? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever wear a Speedo from Debbie? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you'd know. You are a nut. I thought, I wonder if you'll notice my name. <laughs> Did you think these were anonymous questions? Your name is right on the question. So, okay. Do you want me to answer the question? No, I don't wear a Speedo. But I did when I was younger because I was in competitive swimming. And you can't wear trunks when you do that. Yeah, because they blow up with water, right? Yeah. So I have a very North American bathing suit wardrobe because we don't really wear Speedos as much over here or didn't until recent years. Well, I just spent a week on the beach in Italy. Oh my God. Oh, what is it? Nut crunches. Banana hammocks. So many funny words for it. I saw sight. Budgie smugglers. But Yeah, <laughs> budgie smuggler. Um, there were so many funny ones. Um, yeah, I saw a lot of sights. And you know, they're not always unattractive men. You know, if it was some gorgeous hunk. Or unwell endowed men. Like men who are not very well endowed shouldn't wear a Speedo. Yeah. It looks like a little pea in a pod, doesn't it? I mean, it's like... Or it just looks like a bikini bottom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree. You need to have some, you need to have some meat and potatoes. You have some meat and potatoes. Um, but also, if you're going to be in there. There was one guy on the beach who really thought he was <laughs> hot and he had a tiny yellow Speedo. Banana yellow and... <laughs> Banana yellow, of course. Of course. But he wore cowboy boots with it. Oh, my God. And no banana, probably. No banana. Anyway. Next, I'm going to force you to answer some decorating questions, which I know you loathe. So yeah. I was wondering your thoughts on the difference between West Coast design choices, Central to East Coast design. Do you see noticeable differences or more similarities? And I think this speaks also to like 
you know, European design versus North American design and regional design is something that I've explored throughout my career. I always think that when you're designing a home, it should feel when you walk inside of it, that it is of its place. So sourcing local materials, local vernacular furniture, artwork that comes from the region and speaks to the region, because, you know, you want to feel like you're where you are. Do you agree? Um, well, I made a living out of doing Mexican living rooms in people's homes in Toronto, <laughs> reggae bedrooms, Caribbean. There's a, but those are, you know, those are really just good television shows. But um, I do agree. And I also think it's the light. So, you know, yeah. there's a great question about East Coast and West Coast. So, you know, the mm. light in, say, Seattle and Vancouver is very different from the light on, on the East Coast of North America. And whether you're a, you know, a northern colder light and how mm -hmm. people dress, because I'm fascinated by windows because in Italy, nobody puts curtains up. It's all shutters. And I, now I love shutters because they help you sleep. But in England, we don't have good quality windows. Why? I don't know. You know, you can stand in front of it in an expensive house and you still feel the breeze on the inside. A draft, yeah. It's also a very damp country. So they spend a lot of money on decorative curtains. They will spend mm. more money on their curtains or drapes than they will on their sofa. Sofa's usually for the dog in England. But, you know, they're heavy, they're weighted, they're beautiful fabric, and they're expensive, you know. It's a huge business making curtains. Um, so, you know, if you've got lovely big windows um, and good quality windows, maybe more North American, you can just have a bit of... Um, uh, you know, sheer stuff in it and stuff like that. And you get a completely different feel to the room. So when you've got heavy embroidered curtains or something, you know, you need to have the balance of the furniture, you know, you need to kind of weigh it all out. And that's how I think yeah. you develop that British style, the English style, or the, you know, the French style, you know, Paris is more like that. It's more brocade, it's more color, it's more, but if you go mm -hmm. to the South of France where the light is beautiful, Different color palette altogether. Yeah, it's more, you know, simple whitewash walls, stone floors, very similar to Tuscany. But with very clear yellows and sky yeah. blues and very verdant greens. But what I love in the south of France is the way they paint their shutters and everything. These amazing colors, lilac yep. and cobalt blue and, and, and yeah, yellow. Yeah, and these gorgeous like sort of putty greens and things. Yeah, but try that in Tuscany, does not work. It just... It doesn't look and right. And I tried no. it. It really, really doesn't work. But it's the same, you know, on your Instagram, you show a lot of photos of outsides of beautiful buildings, interesting buildings yes. and doors because doors are always yes. interesting. And in England, especially in London, where they paint a lot of the houses, everybody, if you visit London, is flabbergasted of the colors of yeah. the front doors. You know, you can mm -hmm. have bright orange, bright pink, bright yellow, or, or all on the same on a street, all these different colors. Yes. That does not work on a house sometimes in suburbia in say no it doesn't Toronto it because it just can with the brickwork and it's more 1970s 80s style buildings it doesn't work and people will say I'd love to paint my front door a bright color you know a wild color I mean London is like yeah. primrose yellow oh my god it looks amazing there's no beige but it's just I think it's the structure and the light and the period of the houses well speaking of which do you know that when I was in Dublin in Ireland I had a friend who I was talking to about the doors of Dublin, which are famous, and many of them are different colors. 
but you will have an entire row of period Georgian houses, each of which is completely identical except for the front door color. And I said to this Irish friend, so how did this come about? Like, when did this kind of thing start? Was it always this way? And they said, well, I'm not sure how much this is true or how much it's embellished, but the legend is that originally all the doors in the Georgian homes were black. But what kept happening was Mr. O'Reilly would come home drunk from the pub, but go in the front door of Mr. O'Brien's house and end up in bed with Mrs. O'Brien. Blame it on the door color. Because <laughs> the streets were not well lit in the Georgian period. So they started painting the doors like bright red, bright green, bright purple, bright pink, so that, you know, these old codgers, after a few pints... John O'Malley didn't go to the wrong house. Oh, that is... After no. a few pints of Guinness, they wouldn't get in the wrong bed. That's interesting. <laughs> I think also... So it's probably the wives that had the doors painted. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that's how people like Farrell and Ball have been so successful because they've gone back to the period of, of different colours. But now, you know, yeah. they're coming up with all these colours that are just so fab. And they go a step further. You know, if you go to Notting Hill or to Chelsea... Um, the houses are all different colours. The whole row of houses will be... And and I'm sure there is actually... We should look into that. There there must be... um, Those people were probably just more drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe on the booze, as usual. All right, next one. Do you want to do another decorating one? Yes, let's do another decorating one. There was one. Have you ever done a space that you walked away and thought, oh my gosh, or looked at it later and thought, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? My short answer to that is, oh, honey, I've done an entire series of television where I've thought that. <laughs> do you, how do you feel about that? Because I know on The Painted House, there were a few things that were done with um, oh, sponges. they were done for television. And, and, you know, I got hate mail. The designers were like, oh, my God. Is it? But it was about having, it was, a, it was entertainment. We were not yeah. a decorating show. It was about, and I'm not a decorator, you know. I'm quite good at it now. Because I really know what I like. You are very. Yeah. I mean, Italy, I've got 14 bedrooms, three kitchens, four living rooms. Lots of places to experiment with design. Yeah. I was obsessed. And I also wanted to be very true to Tuscany and really more the south of France, actually, and use raw materials and all that kind of stuff. And I had the time while they were doing the big work. I was collecting stuff, buying stuff and going to the big design shows and really seeing what was out there. But I could never do what you do. I just couldn't. I wouldn't have the patience and I wouldn't, uh, you know. Well, I'll tell you, doing what I do is really historically up until now really been done in two different silos. You know, there was the television work, which is, wildly restrictive in terms of timeline and budget, which are the two things that will kill you in the design process. If you don't have a budget and you don't have a time, Absolutely. you're, you're kind of screwed. But sometimes not, not having the budget makes you more inventive. And that's why those shows were so popular, because you could do it yourself. That's right. And I loved exercising those muscles. And I'm not a snob about design because I've learned that even if you don't have a lot of money, there are things that you can do to have a lovely home. But It's a very different animal when you have those kinds of restrictions and restraints in terms of the finished product. We made it look good on TV and our clients were always very happy. And we were one of the few shows that absolutely left everything in the house. We never backed up a truck and said, half of this has to go just because you didn't have enough money. We hustled to get everybody everything that they really needed. And we did hustle and we begged, borrowed and stole in order to make that happen. But 
you know, in the other silo where I do provide very, you know, exclusive professional design services to high net worth people who uh, can afford and have the means to have the finest things, there's still a spectrum. There's still people who are on a strict budget and you, you get the budget, you decide if you can do it. And then there's some people that have almost unlimited means and you feel just as responsible toward those people. You know, just because they can afford a $100,000 rug. Is a $100,000 rug a good idea in a house that has three kids and two dogs in it? Probably not. And so, you know, we I always try to be responsible to the project, but I'm very fortunate in the sense that I get to do really beautiful, very well-appointed houses with blue chip art and fine antique furniture and the best of the new kinds of modern things that you can have. And then I've also been able to exercise those muscles vis-a-vis -vis the television programs where I can make something out of nothing. And I feel very proud of that. I just can't get over the $100,000 rug, but anyway. <laughs> I, mean, I, did a, I did a project recently where there was actually like a $65,000 rug in the room, but these were for people who were collectors, true collectors. Mm. But you know those rug shops where you go and they lay them all out, you know, on piles yeah. and stuff? Well, my, I go into them often, yeah. Well, I inherited from my mother a Chinese rug beautiful silk Chinese rug. I hated it, but anyway, I inherited it. So I thought, I'll find stuff way for it. But what she'd done when she, she was young, she'd cut out all the table legs and stuff all the way around it. So there were holes everywhere. And I remember oh my God. saying to somebody, why did she do that? And she said, well, it was one of her friends. She said, she thought that's what you were supposed to do. So instead of sitting the furniture on it, she cut oh around gosh. it. <laughs> That's crazy. A lot of people do that with old rugs. Here's a tip, actually. Sometimes if you have a floor plug and you're floating a sofa in the middle of the room and you have to figure out how to get between the rug and the floor to get that plug put in, you can actually map out exactly where it needs to be on the rug and put a piece of tape on it or put a, a pin, a couple of pins in it, like your dry cleaner will do before hemming pants. And you can take it to a rug specialist and they will surgically open up just a slice so that it can be sewn back together at a later date if you don't have a sofa and a plug. So that's the way to do it. I don't think they had that in the 70s. <laughs> it was like, you know. No, but, but most places that clean rugs yeah. will also do rug surgery or rug repairs. And that's how we do it in decorating. Well, yeah, if you've got that kind of budget, I think that's great, but ooh. <laughs> 100000 for a rug. Think what you could do with that kind of money. You can spend three times that on a rug. Tommy, we have to wrap it up, but there's one question that I actually liked. I'm just trying to find it from um, somebody said, because I'm asked this a lot, was I afraid to take on something like this? Yeah, it says, it's Janice and Mark who wrote, Debbie, were you afraid when you took on the renovation in Italy? Right, because they actually went on to, they went on to write that they want to do this. And, I, and many people come here and many, many people turn up and many people write to me saying they, they want to do a similar dream. It doesn't have to be as big as this. And I think afraid is, is a big word. I don't think I was afraid. I mean, you know, you have anxiety most days and everything, but you're on a kind of, you know, no stopping. Let's just get going. I think if you do your research really well and you find the right place, um, and like you said, you know, you try and have some kind of budget and not look at it. And I think with all design projects, decorating projects, don't look at it as a chore. This is an adventure. Yeah. This is something that is going to, 
you know, wrap your family in. It's going to have your memories. You know, whether you're redoing your bathroom, you're going to remember that bathroom. So I had this vision all the time of what it was going to be like to have my family around the table, to have these retreat guests finding themselves, finding their next chapters, everything I wanted these women to do here. Um, mm -hmm. That was my, it wasn't what color to paint the walls. That was my goal. What would make these people happy? You know, yes. what, what is the look, the feel that would, would make them go, oh my God, this is going to be the best week of my life. And that was my driving force, I think. But I, I think it's, it's the only way to approach yeah. any kind of a decorating project. And I think, How do I want to feel when I'm in this space? Exactly. And I think if you, if you are looking at doing something in a foreign country, you have to jump in with two feet. And if anybody really wants to see the drama of this, we did a documentary about it called Dolce Debbie, um, which is on YouTube. And it really takes you, it's six, 30 minutes of the drama of looking, finding, the nightmare of buying, and then the whole renovation. It's not a renovation show as such, but you see the whole journey. It's a documentary. It's a documentary. And I've had thousands upon thousands of people from all over the world write to me saying, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. It could be in Spain. It could be in New Brunswick. It could be, you know, I have to say it's the adventure of a lifetime. But yeah, it is. if you're doing it with somebody else, which I do recommend, you must both be on board. Because yep. if you're not... If you don't share the vision, it can be the end of the of, a, of the relationship. Yeah, but it's, it's one of the most exciting things I've ever done and that I get pleasure out of every minute of the day. So yeah, if you've got a dream, follow it, follow it. I think it's also not about like going back to your comment about fear and we can maybe end on this because it's really a good thing to remember. There are several quotes out there. Maybe it's Roosevelt who said this, I can't remember. But, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the ability to move through the fear despite the fact that it's there. And you can't have courage without the presence of fear. So taking on something that's courageous really just involves doing the work of saying, for the reward that I know will be there at the end of this, I'm going to conquer my fears or my doubts or my insecurities or whatever it is that a person might have in giving themselves the excuses not to tackle the big dream and the big project, if you can eliminate those or at least work through them and live with them while you're doing it, then you get the results and then you get the rewards. And yes, not everybody's doing a 16-room place, but you're hosting retreats. Yeah, you have to have those. Exactly. Rooms. And it could be a dream of a different job. You know, it's going yeah. down a different path. And I would say when I wrote Design Your Next Chapter and I interviewed a lot of people who'd done this, not one said they regretted it. Many said it wasn't no. the journey I expected and it took me in a different yes. direction. Or yes. I was doing this and, and then I met so-and-so and now we're happily married. Or, you know, it, it's something will come out of it. What doesn't come out of stuff is sitting there wondering whether you should do stuff all your life and then regretting at a certain age saying, I never did anything. It's taking yeah. that leap and it will open up your soul. It has to. Yeah. And you have to be open to those bends in the path. Yeah. You have to be open to it. Anyway, anyway, I've been very open to this ask me anything thing and I've really rather enjoyed it. Yeah, we love talking about anything. Tell everyone who's coming up on the next episode. Well, I'm so excited. We have somebody I've admired for years. She is a mega star around the world. She's an incredible chef. She happens to be my neighbor in Tuscany. We will be chatting, Tommy and I, to the wonderful, the magnificent, the fascinating 
Rachel Ray. Can't wait. Whether we're doing an Ask Us Anything episode or not, you can send us a voice note on either our website, thetrustmepod.com, look for the black sidebar, or on Instagram at thetrustmepod. And until next time, ciao. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.